Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you are. Well, so I'm Shengen Fan, a chair professor at the China Agricultural University and a system board member of CGIR. So today, our discussion will be focused on that's a capacity strengthening, particularly some of the institutional strengthening programs, how they have worked or how this program will continue to work, particularly under the food system transformation. So as a CGIR system board member, so I just to let you know that the CGIR is very much committed, continued to work on capacity strengthening, particularly using the food system approach. So not just on production side, not just on technology, not just on environment. We wanted to bring every, everything together using an integrated approach. But in, in the meantime, I also have been actively engaged with the United Nations and international organizations in setting up a seminar, IPCC for food. And one of the critical gap in that setup is the lack of capacity, particularly capacity at the country level to bring independent mutual evidence-based data and research-based policy recommendations for decision makers to make the right decisions. So today's discussion, we are very much focused on lessons and experience we have learned from the past. And the most importantly is to have a forward-looking, let's say, strategies, how we can further strengthen our work. So without further ado, uh, I will, well, as usual, as a chair of the um, today's seminar, I will delegate the moderation uh, to Katala Teller. And uh, before that, I will ask IPRI Director General Jos Swinen to give some brief opening remarks. Jos, please. Thank you very much, Shangen. Uh, thanks, and first of all, uh, thank you so much for being here with us, for sharing our uh, panel today, our, our webinar. I know that you have uh, been very important in this area for leading IFPRI for many years and, and for emphasizing this as a very important part of, of the work that we do here. And so I think it's great that you take leadership in the CGIR now on this. We have a, a great lineup of speakers here, many uh, people also on the panel, so I'm going to keep my, my remark very short to give, uh, not to use time for uh, which can be better used for them. I think to, today we're living in a CCC world, the crisis due to climate, to COVID-19, due to many conflicts around the world. And so in this world, more than ever, we need uh, research, we need policy research, we need the capacity to do analyses. Uh, this is very much reflected, I think, today, in, and there's a lot of interest in the type of work that we do here at IFPRI and the CGIR more broadly on, on the global food price crisis. But in order to do that, that is certainly taking forward as well, we need uh, collaboration, we need capacity around the world to do this, and particularly in the global south. Uh, IFPRI has played, uh, has been engaging in this very much over the past uh, decades in helping to build this, work with stakeholders. I should also say that there's a bit of a, a change in strategy that initially we worked uh, more from, let's say, from Washington, collaboration with Global South members. I think now we are more decentralized. And so a lot of our regional and country offices are in the countries where we uh, collaborate with the local organizations and stakeholders. And I think it's really benefiting everybody involved with this, this new approach. Clearly in the CGIR, there is a strong emphasis, as Schengen already mentioned, on capacity building. There is right now a, a capacity sharing for development task force, and IFPRI is uh, very much involved in this. Uh, 
Suresh Babu, who's on the panel here today, is leading our work on that. So with that, I think this is an extremely important issue. It's great to have the seminar, and I, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing from all the people on the panel. Back to you, Katarla. Great. Thank you so much, Yo, and thank you, Schengen. And, and again, I'd like to remind people that we would like to hear from you. So to participate in our Q&A session that will follow our discussants' remarks, please submit your questions on ifpre.org, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, YouTube, or by using the hashtag AskIfpre on Twitter. And as Yo noted, we do have a great lineup of speakers. And so I'll turn right now to Kevin Chen, who is a senior research fellow at IFPRI in our China office. Chen, Kevin, over to you. Well, thank you, uh, Katala. And I'm very pleased to be here participating in this very important uh, event. And agricultural policy research capacity has been expanded exponentially in China since the reform started in 1978. In particular, this particular expansion has been fueled by the thousands of returning scholars overseas. And as a matter of fact, uh, our former DG, Shengen Feng, now become one of those uh, recent uh, examples back in China Agricultural University. So if we started uh, it's a collaborative research with China rather early in 1983. So by 1996, China program has officially hosted by the Chinese Academy of Agricultural Science. Uh, I'm not so sure whether my slides are starting sharing. Yes, please. And uh, so in particular, uh, with the China enter into a new development era, so we're starting taking some new approach the approach with, is really to collaborate with the local institute or university more closely. So what we approach we use it is called localizing and institutionalizing the IFPRI China program. And as you can see now, our Beijing office is located at uh, Chinese Academy of Agricultural Science and uh, in 2003, we co-established uh, joint center with the uh, CAS. Then in 2018, we had another joint center with the uh, Huazhong Agricultural University. And in 2019, we opened another joint center with the uh, Zhejiang University. Next slide, please. And uh, so the first uh, joint center is with the Chinese Academy of Agricultural Science, which is called uh, International Center for Agriculture and Rural Development. Shengen Fang actually uh, started with this particular uh, joint centers. And with this center, we work closely with the different institute of the CAS, as well as the university researchers and so on. Uh, we did a couple of things. The one thing we did is, uh, help uh, to expand, extend the IFPRI model to China, the global agricultural model, China agricultural model, and also China CG model for the policy analysis. Second thing we did, uh, particularly since 2003, we helped to train the more than 40 post-doctor and PhD students. And uh, another thing we did quite in the recent years since 2018, 
is the case and if we co-organize the China and the Global Agricultural Policy Forum. And we also co-provided the technical support to a flagship report prepared by the CAS called China Agricultural Sector Development Report. Next slide, please. And uh, the second uh, joint center is really the joint with the Huazhong Agricultural University led by senior research fellow Liang Zhiyu and called the Macro Agriculture Re Research Institute, which are largely fueled by the need to do more research on the agricultural system transformations. So we try to do the interdisciplinary work, uh, bring the interdisciplinary nature of the work to the Huazhong Agricultural University, also uh, expand that uh, to the different university in China. And the next slide, please. And more recently, and in 2019, actually you was there at Zhejiang University, uh, attended the inaugural event for opening that Zhejiang University IFPRI Joint Center for International Development Study. And with that particular center, we focus on the research on the transforming Chinese agri-food uh, system and in particular, we're also working with the seven world leading experts from the United States and Europe and China, and we established a food system and a policy lab. And uh, also with the support uh, from Zhejiang University, Office of the Editor in Chief for the uh, International Food and Agribusiness Management Review Journal was established in 2020, and we prepared a number of the policy briefs which are adopted by the government and uh, uh, in China. Next slide, please. And one particular thing we did is to localize and institutionalize our collaboration with China is to start uh, a joint research program between the uh, Natural Science Foundation of China and uh, IFPRI. So the, the agreement was signed in 2012 and the thing 2012, uh, we jointly funded 16 projects and with a total about 30 million uh, IMBs, that's about 5 million US dollars. So that's helped us to do the collaborative research between the IFPRI researcher and the Ch Chinese researchers. And uh, priority funding area are jointly determined and uh, the, the National Science Foundation of China provides scientific research and the personnel exchange fund for approved projects. IFPRI typically provides technical support for participation of personnel and for training and for learnings. Next slide, please. Uh, one thing in particular, and uh, uh, actually, with Schengen returning to China Agricultural University, and uh, he collaborated with the IFPRI Beijing office, and we co-publishing a flagship report, largely following the IFPRI tradition, the Global Food Policy Report. We have a report called uh, China and the Global Food Policy Report starting in 2021. Now we produced the two flagship reports already, 
And our objective is really to provide evidence-based policy advice to policymakers in China and also globally. And the second is to share the experience and the lessons of China's economic transformation and agricultural development with the rest of the world. And uh, uh, so with the five different institutions working together, we are hoping to produce the annual flagship report down the road. Next slide, please. So if I look uh, into the future and uh, we see a number of the key opportunities and uh, particularly the Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Affairs is very keen to know how to work with the CG to proceed one CG strategy in China. Currently, we, one CG uh, is commissioned the IFPRI to lead the China, one CG China strategy development. We are starting this particular work. And the Chinese policymakers are very much emphasizing learning from international development experience. And uh, at the same time, very much enthusiastic to share the China's policy, strategic design, especially experience on the poverty reduction and food security with other developing countries. China did achieve the elimination of the absolute poverty by 2020 and also 10 years ahead of the SDG goal and also the zero hunger and also probably informally 10 years ahead of SDG timelines. So key objective for us is really to support uh, for the China program in the future to design an implementation of the development strategy for achieving food security, uh, poverty, hunger reduction, and uh, overall uh, development strategy to share the, in particular, to share the Chinese experience on the poverty reduction and the zero hunger. In particular, uh, one very positive development recently is the foreign minister Wang Yi uh, delivers speech at the G20 and uh, delivered eight action plan. One of the action plans specifically mentioned to support the CGIR to collaborate with the CGIR more to reducing the re restriction on the high-tech exchange. So we very much working with China to expand the impact of the CGIR in China. So let me stop right here. Back to you, Dala. Great, thank you so much, Kevin. Our next speaker is Suresh Babu, who is a senior research fellow and the head of capacity strengthening at free. Suresh, over to you. Uh, thank you, Katarla. This is a wonderful opportunity. First of all, let me uh, recognize uh, Dr. Paul Deroche, uh, who was the motivation behind this uh, uh, seminar uh, to bring uh, key people together in order to uh, explore the aspects of institutional development in the context of building policy research and analytical capacity. And I also want to thank Schengen Fan, uh, our uh, former DG, as well as our board member now in CGAR and IFPRI, uh, for this enthusiasm that he has shown over the last 30 years working uh, with us and, and uh, in the last 10 years working with him has been uh, wonderful and and uh, you continues that tradition of giving high level importance for capacity strengthening and emphasizing national level capacity so thank you all for that 
Uh, just to um, start off with, if we can bring up the slides, uh, please, um, let's go to the next slide. Uh, Malawi has been a country where um, quite a bit of uh, investments have been made in the past in capacity strengthening. When I uh, reached Malawi almost like 30 years ago in the Ministry of Agriculture, where I was based as a policy advisor, but the Deputy Minister for Agriculture, Mr. Honorable Kangode, called in uh, the first week I, I was there. Uh, and, and looked at my CV and said, uh, you know what, we need 10 people like you in our ministry. That would be a great contribution before you leave this, uh, this project. Uh, and that became my personal goal in Malawi to start working to strengthen capacity. So we'll come back to this, this particular goal, why national planners and policymakers would like to have solid policy research and analytical capacity. Next slide, please. In the context of Malawi, of course, uh, we have, over the years have worked in a policy systems approach, not just in one institution. I list some of these institutions here that we have worked in the past and some of the new uh, emerging institutions as well. We'll, uh, well. we'll kind of touch upon this, what they have done in terms of building capacity and we were able to, how we were able to bring that capacity to the policymaking uh, uh, process. Uh, next slide, please. To start with, in the Ministry of Agriculture uh, uh, in Malawi, particularly um, in the 90s, the, the need was for building quantity of uh, people. A very small number of policy analysts. Uh, uh, some examples of international uh, support was Cornell Food and Nutrition Policy Program at that time, working with Ministry of Agriculture and Economic Development Planning and Center for Social Research. Harvard Institute for International Development. Some of you may remember that institute and uh, send technical assistance, but they are mainly focusing on the three broad aspects, which we still continue. Policy research and analysis for evidence-based policy advice and uh, um, capacity development so that there will be sustainable capacity for, for working. And later on, of course, if free MSU, uh, Rockefeller Foundation, they all joined hands in building that such capacity. So moving forward quickly, next slide, please. In the Ministry of Agriculture, particularly, where the context of capacity strengthening has been frequent droughts and disasters, how do we increase the productivity, achieving food security, and more importantly, how do we assess the food and nutrition insecurity at the country to guide the policy process of even intervening. So in the beginning, the, the approach was more or less firefighting because of uh, we need uh, uh, quantity uh, in terms of policy research uh, capacity, but then it evolved into data analysis, um, for intervening at the decentralized level, um, marketing um, and prices monitoring, for example. Uh, and recently, MSU and IFPRI, uh, Michigan State University and IFPRI joined hands in the last five years, for example, a project on NAPAS where we help the um, Ministry of Agriculture to come up with the national agriculture policy, which is, which is we still continue to support that. So coming from the basic uh, capacity for analysis to policy strategy development capacity is what we are looking at. But as soon as you build capacity, the, one of the lessons is that, that you also see the capacity leaving because the trained people move on to other things. And particularly, it's good in a sense because they move to regional organizations and, and the World Bank, UN systems and NGOs and so on. But still, that calls for additional capacity strengthening, continuous investment in capacity for policy analysis. Next slide, please. Quickly moving on to this other side of the story is because in the ministries, it's very difficult to keep the capacity. One of the places we invested uh, in the last 20 years is to build the capacity in the university system. 
and, and we have Agnes uh, Mangwela is here as a discussant from Bunda College, which became uh, Luwanar, the agricultural university now, and where we focused on policy education, building master's and PhD programs, policy research, working with the APRU and CARDS now, and the also training of the mid-career policy people from the, from the um, uh, government institutions. And these were all funded by USAID, World Bank, European Union. Quite a bit of investment has gone into it. One good story about that is we have produced number in terms of people that, that are in the country. You can see the graduates of uh, these programs everywhere in, in Malawi now working in different organizations. In fact, leading some of the organizations. Some of them have been permanent secretaries of, of the, the ministries as well. And uh, Malawi has also mainstreamed in the regional sense to work with the regional MSc programs to build this policy capacity. But the challenge remains is the, this distinction between individual consultancy-oriented policy capacity versus institutionally developing the institutions for overall support to the policy system. That's still a challenge. A challenge. Next slide, please. But of course, data is very important for policy analysis. We recognize that uh, even about 20 years ago, unless we build that data system in the country, policy analysis becomes very difficult. Uh, even if you have uh, established capacity, trained capacity without data, you can't do that. So we invested quite a bit in the uh, strengthening of the National Statistical Office, uh, getting involved uh, with, um, uh, with them in terms of uh, integrated household surveys. The first survey was supported by Todd Benson, our research fellow, uh, senior research fellow at that time. And we continue to work series of uh, capacity development for and building national data systems. The recently, for example, Nick Minot was there, the photo you see standing behind, uh, uh, training uh, uh, the, uh, the policy analysts from NSO and uh, uh, from the ministries uh, using the integrated survey data number five, uh, the latest one, uh, for poverty mapping, for example, so that that capacity still continues. Uh, one of the good things about this is the World Bank, uh, through the LSMS program, came and, and, and started supporting this as well. So there is a multiple kind of uh, uh, support coming to NSO in terms of building capacity, and we are, the, the, we are building that capacity continuously, so it will continue as well. Um, next slide, please. And I want to talk a little bit about the free country programs. And, and uh, so we have been in the past uh, embedded in the ministry or in Luanar in the, in, the, in the Bunda College, for example. But then later on, we said we need to be independently producing high quality evidence-based research. Um, and, and that's when we, we, have, we had this country program functioning for many years now. And we continue to support the ministries, line ministries, uh, Ministry of Agriculture, EPD, Luanar, and other institutions in the country in terms of bringing the evidence to the forefront of policymaking system. I should mention that this ongoing price monitoring system, uh, which will be collaborating with the agricultural um, information system in the country soon, is an example of how data-based, evidence-based information is useful for policymaking. And of course, I should mention Compact 2025 that Schengen led for many years. The photo you see there is with the Vice President and the Minister of Finance has been very helpful in providing a platform for research-based consultations. And, and I just wanted to uh, emphasize the need for bringing the platform through Compact 2025 was very useful. Now, moving on, um, we also have, next slide, please. Um, we also have emerging local think tanks. I should be mentioning about MOPATA, which is coming very strong with the support of uh, MSU. And of course, IFPRI is also supporting it. And in terms of uh, 
producing evidence-based policy making, but led by local capacity. And at the same time, providing local partnership, local uh, uh, leadership for the policy dialogues that, that would be happening. And there are some good examples that, uh, that you can go and check in MOPATA website. So there is a good, good dimension of locally owned capacity centering that is happening. Um, next slide, please. Um, moving on, and we need to also build capacity, not just at the policy level, but also connecting the national policies at the international, at the intervention level and bring that back to scale up. That is the real capacity need right now that Malawi is expre expressing. One example is a national resilience strategy through which we are working with uh, a program called uh, Titukulani, funded by USAID, where we look at how can we translate national policies into action on the ground and what are the contextual specific problems that can bring back to the policy analysis so that we can scale up the program. Next slide, please. And quick set of uh, uh, lessons there is, uh, of course, the intervention in terms of policy capacity building depends on the stage in which we are working in the country. The global Bringing global knowledge to the local context is very important. And uh, Malawi, Malawi is a very good example how long-term effort is needed. It's not fly in and fly out kind of capacity centering. You have to be there in the country, like the country programs do from IFPRI, working and, and, and building the trust, working with the, with the government and other partners to build the capacity in the long run. But again, system-wide approach is needed, not just one institutions or one ministry, because now we're talking about food system transformation that re requires multi-sectoral approach to policymaking, which means system-wide approach is important from data to analysis, to policy making and the evaluation of the policies. Important point that is coming out of uh, Malawi experience is that that governance and accountability of local institutions are very important. Leadership is very important. Finally, I just want to mention about every research program need to have a capacity component. And, and we are striving hard on the one CGAR initiatives. Schengen and you have been emphasizing that. So we'll be building that. Uh, along with the initiatives of building capacity, we need to continuously invest in, in uh, capacity, both in terms of quality and quantity. And it's a long-term uh, effort. Let me finish with a small quote that again from uh, next slide, please. Um, when do we stop doing capacity strengthening, right? Uh, when do we know? Uh, the one quote from the same minister, Deputy Minister uh, Honorable Kangode, a uh, long time ago was that, if there is still demand for your work, then your job in capacity centering is not yet done. So you should be not demanded anymore, and then you know the local capacity is built. I mean, that's a kind of an indicator, but let's invest more in research-based evidence uh, building capacities in, in, in Malawi and other countries that we are working. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Suresh, for that presentation on Malawi. Let's now turn to Ethiopia, and we have Alimayu Seyun Tafes who's a senior research fellow and the program leader of IFPRI's Ethiopia Strategy Support Program. Over to you, Alimayu. Thank you, Katarla. Greetings to all. Uh, first, I apologize for my voice. I'm uh, recovering from COVID at, uh, at the moment, so uh, bear with me. Uh, I'll speak briefly about the Ethiopia Strategy Support uh, Program, the country program that uh, IFPRI has uh, uh, running uh, for the last uh, 15 or so years in, in Ethiopia. Uh, given the theme of today's seminar, I want to emphasize the fact that the Ethiopia Strategy Support Program is at its core a capacity development program. From the design stage through the, uh, uh, its implementation and uh, 
uh, a number of uh, phases that it ran, ran through. It does so through multiple pathways, which I will briefly outline uh, below. So uh, all of these has to be seen uh, as capacity development uh, broadly defined. So uh, there are three pillars that the SSP uh, uh, is based on uh, and uh, operate. One is collaborative research. Second is capacity building in the narrow sense and outreach and uh, engagement. Uh, uh, all this is uh, done through cogeneration, the agenda, the activities, uh, uh, and uh, the engagements are cogenerated with local partners, particularly uh, the National Advisory Council that uh, we have uh, uh, throughout. The National Advisory Council is composed of uh, uh, the uh, executive director of the uh, previously Ethiopia Development Research uh, uh, Institute, EDRI, currently the Policy Studies uh, Institute, our local host. And then there are state ministers from finance, uh, planning, agriculture, and the heads of uh, uh, the statistical agency and the uh, Ethiopian Institute of Agricultural uh, uh, Research. So uh, uh, these institutions or these uh, council serve not only as a means of generating ideas and obtaining information about uh, what the policy priorities of the government uh, are, it also the conduit through which uh, the findings, research findings that uh, the program generates uh, are channeled to uh, uh, policymakers throughout uh, uh, the system, throughout the government. Uh, uh, as I said, the Policy Studies Institute is our uh, local uh, local host, and our donors also participate in uh, the cogeneration, particularly in the latter stage <coughs> of uh, uh, in the latter phases of uh, ESSP. I like to emphasize one important point here: uh, early years, in early years, the, the donors uh, should be recognized for providing more or less untied support. Uh, uh, to ESSP uh, to pursue uh, the uh, policy agenda that the government uh, set for it. Third uh, element is partnerships, and uh, uh, we have uh, national research organizations, uh, government agencies as <coughs> important partners uh, uh, throughout uh, these, uh, uh, its life. Uh, ESSP has two main uh, ways of, uh, uh, or two elements uh, that uh, uh, it uses to put forward these uh, uh, these goals of capacity building. One is its own research. The other is the impact evaluation of <coughs> large uh, government uh, uh, and uh, donor partners uh, projects, such as the Productive Safety Net Program, Agricultural Growth Program, <coughs> Feed the Future, Ethiopia, and, and, and others. All these activities lead, produce, of course, standard outputs, such as books, <coughs> working papers, and uh, general articles, as well as conference and workshops. <coughs> I apologize for this.
Now, if we look at uh, uh, some of the impact generated through these activities, uh, we start with uh, uh, starting with policy engagement. Uh, the first uh, visible uh, achievement of the program is the establishment of the Ethiopian Commodity Exchange, which at that time was a major innovation in the grain marketing system <coughs> in the country. Uh, similar efforts led to the establishment uh, 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 of the Agricultural Transformation Agency, which was supported by IFPRI and uh, ESSP uh, specifically. And this uh, uh, was intended as a key organization to uh, design and develop uh, solutions to systemic uh, bottlenecks. Uh, now, the Agricultural Transformation Agency has uh, transformed into itself into a uh, transformation institute as a knowledge a knowledge uh, hub. Uh, ASSB also contributed to the preparation of the growth and transformation plans and the 10-year development uh, uh, plan that is uh, being uh, implemented at uh, the moment. Uh, and also at, at present, if ASSB is supporting the Independent Council of Economic Advisors, uh, at the individual level, as well as <coughs> as well as through uh, uh, research support. Uh, in terms of uh, specific uh, capacity uh, building, uh, uh, again we have collaborative research itself and outreach in terms of conferences and workshops, providing uh, pathways to capacity building. Uh, in addition specifically design training uh, uh, projects, tra training schemes were implemented, <coughs> excuse me, uh, including uh, CG modeling, <coughs> impact evaluation, market analysis, GIS analysis, econometric techniques, research design, uh, and, and, uh, and, and so on. Perhaps the best way of summarizing the capacity development uh, impact of uh, ESSP is uh, the creation of an ecosystem uh, which combines government of Ethiopia, national research uh, uh, organizations and universities, professional associations, <coughs> donors, and uh, other international organizations. As I said, uh, one uh, uh, clear example is the uh, improvement and expansion of EDRI and presently PSI. Uh, the ASSB has been a, 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 an important support to the core capacity building uh, for uh, its transformation from uh, uh, a place where a few uh, researchers were uh, serving on part-time basis to a full-blown research organization with multiple PhD graduates conducting research and policy advice. For the Central Statistical Agency, which today is called the Ethiopian Statistical Service, ASSP uh, uh, was one of the uh, uh, contributors to its capacity in running, designing and conducting panel surveys. Uh, the first panel survey the CSA did was with ESSP uh, through its uh, uh, the Productive Safety Net Program uh, surveys. Uh, GIS capacity of the, the agency has been built significantly uh, through contributions uh, of ESSP GIS experts, uh, not only uh, at the headquarters, 
but also in branch branch offices throughout uh, <coughs> the country. <coughs> the regular collaboration with the Ethiopian Economics Association, particularly in the form of uh, organize, co-organizing and the international annual international conference on the Ethiopian economy has proven very useful by providing platform for uh, uh, presenting research uh, uh, outputs, not only for IFPRI, but also uh, uh, other uh, Ethiopian and non-Ethiopian uh, researchers working on, on Ethiopia. Obviously, at the center of all this, uh, 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 policy advice is, uh, is, uh, uh, is a, a primary aim. And in a variety of ways, this advice has been given uh, by ESSP members uh, throughout uh, uh, the years. Uh, at the moment, actually, we have uh, 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 individuals uh, serving, as I said, in the uh, Independent Council of Economic Advisors linked with uh, IFP. I also have experts now uh, modeling market value chain analysis, impact valuation, and, and others. Uh, uh, related to this ecosystem, I'd like to recognize that individuals made important contributions to its emergence. These individuals are from IFPRI as well as uh, non-IFPRI. Uh, so uh, Eleni, Paul de Roche, Bart Minton, uh, uh, and uh, Schengen Fan, all these uh, IFPRI people contributed to uh, the emergence uh, of, uh, of the, uh, the ecosystem. But from the outset, it was realized that these efforts has to be embedded within local networks. So uh, individuals uh, uh, within Ethiopia were uh, uh, engaged uh, to uh, make this uh, uh, a reality. Two observations on the Sorry. way forward. Sorry, yes. can we begin to wrap up, please? Yes, this is the final, the final. Uh, 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 so uh, the need for and value of ESSP for Ethiopia is higher in the coming years uh, due to the multiple crises uh, the country is facing. And uh, the experience of ESSP provides uh, significant lessons uh, uh, for 1CG going forward. Thank you very much. And I apologize for my, my voice. Great. Thank you very much, Elimayu, for that uh, insight into the Ethiopia Strategy Support Program. And thank you for participating, even though you're not feeling very well. I hope you recover soon. Now we'll turn to Tom Jane, who is a University Foundation Professor of Agriculture, Food and Resource Economics at Michigan State University. Over to you, Tom. Yes, uh, um, yes, okay, thank great. you. Uh, good afternoon, good evening, good, good morning, as the case may be. Uh, and uh, thank you very much uh, to IFPRI for the invitation to speak. Um, so uh, I've noticed that the, the, some of the speakers have uh, documented uh, very impressive progress uh, that IFPRI and partners have made in uh, Ethiopia, in China, in Malawi. I'm going to take a slightly different approach uh, this morning. Um, uh, I'd like to sort of identify some of the key challenges uh, that local institutes face in developing capacity 
and maybe some steps that both development partners as well as research organizations such as IFPRI and Michigan State University and other international partners could make uh, to promote um, or accelerate the pace of capacity development uh, in, in Africa in particular. And uh, these insights will be partially based on some personal reflections um, based on my experience in, in, in this area. Uh, and also we'll be drawing from a report uh, that I have here um, that Suresh Babu and uh, other IFPRI colleagues were, were involved in, uh, along with a team from MSU and some uh, representatives from African uh, policy institutes themselves. Okay, so if I could summarize the main mes message of the report, uh, it would be like this. Compared to 25 years ago, uh, today there's a lot more capacity uh, in Africa. Um, many Africans uh, possess international quality analytical skills. And so the emphasis of capacity development really needs to shift a little bit. Uh, individual capacity development remains extremely important, but there's an increasingly important success factor uh, that that relies on institutional capacity development, distinct from individual capacity development, to enable these institutes to thrive in a complex ecosystem with many actors. So <clears throat> our conclusion is that international partners, uh, including universities <clears throat> such as mine, uh, can provide um, the needed in institutional capacity development support but it may require modifications in their mandate and their business model. And I'll try to elaborate a little bit on that. Um, I've plucked out four uh, illustrative points to highlight. The first one is just the critical importance of leadership. Uh, and um, leadership, not only the executive directors of these organizations, but the governance structure of these organizations. Uh, the, uh, is the board of directors uh, well chosen and committed uh, to really uh, promote the interests and the development of these uh, organizations? There's both sort of an, an internally uh, facing uh, set of criteria as well as an externally facing set of criteria that uh, successful leaders of these institutions would need to have. The external facing environment is you know, how do you present yourself to, to the rest of the world, to policymakers, to potential donors, to the others in the international community, et cetera, et cetera. And the internally facing uh, management issues are, can you, can you create a conducive environment internally within the Institute to attract and retain uh, qualified individuals uh, to um, to, to do the work. Uh, Suresh made a very important point in his presentation where he uh, mentioned that, you know, you can build up capacity of individuals, but they often leave. Uh, and, you know, I think we need to assess why are they leaving? Uh, and uh, does that, you know, have anything to do with perceptions that their careers could be, uh, you know, um, more successful outside of these local institutions? So it really does 
emphasize the need to build an, a, a conducive internal uh, environment, and that's leadership. Okay, uh, point number two is um, in, in some ways uh, the incentive structure uh, the, the, uh, does impede the development of these uh, APRIs, the Agricultural Policy Research Institutes uh, in Africa. And um, two or three points I'll emphasize here. Uh, so when I was you know, involved in, in building programs in African countries, um, I noticed that uh, you know, our, our objectives were to create local offices, to gain trust and influence of government. Uh, we had resources behind us uh, that enabled us to, to do that. We could attract qualified staff uh, in the country. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I noticed resentment, uh, in many cases building, from existing local research units that couldn't compete uh, with us because of limited resources. Uh, uh, this is a common um, complaint that I, I hear from African organizations that uh, they're often invited to uh, collaborate in, in grants, um, invited at the 11th hour, uh, or some of the individuals within these uh, local research institutes are picked off as consultants rather than engaging the local institute uh, you know, as an institution. Uh, and you know, some uh, executive directors of local policy institutes have kind of lamented uh, to me that sometimes they, they can't be very sure about what their own research staff are working on uh, because <clears throat> many of them are hired uh, to do other people's work uh, as consultants. And all of this really does impede uh, the development and the, the, the integrity uh, of these local organizations. Um, you know, and donors unintentionally uh, sometimes will um, uh, maybe undermine, I think is not an, an inappropriate word to use here, uh, undermine locally led policy institutes by creating parallel channels uh, to in influence government. So we know that you know, donors' interests in funding analysis are to generate impact. They, they want to see results. And so sometimes if they can conclude that short-run approaches to, to do this by either embedding their, uh, their own uh, international expert within the Ministry of Agriculture uh, or you know, something like that, uh, this does make things more complicated for a local institute, which has that same mandate of uh, informing and guiding government. Uh, they, they now have competing uh, anal an, you know, sources of analysis to, 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 to deal with, and sometimes that uh, can marginalize uh, the development of the local institutes. Um, uh, this last... Um, uh, bullet down here in the bottom is that um, you know some some donors may be in in seeking to have influence and impact may create new institutes that are more accountable to themselves uh, than accountable to actual national stakeholders in the country and that also can present great problems for the development of uh, national capacity and in institutions in these countries Point number three is uh, I think it would behoove us all to reflect a little bit on this common observation that there's limited demand for research evidence uh, by African governments. 
Um, in my um, couple of years um, being with the African Development Bank uh, recently, um, I've come to see that actually there's great demand by African governments for policy analysis, much more than I detected uh, when <clears throat> I was, you know, based at Michigan State University or even, you know, doing, uh, having these policy projects uh, in locally led institutes. And in trying to diagnose what's going on there, um, uh, the African Development Bank often receives um, requests for guidance from member states, sometimes as a, um, a wish for sort of a second opinion on analysis that they got from an international organization, uh, such as the World Bank, uh, and sometimes, um, you know, with trying to operationalize some policy guidance that they received elsewhere, such as, you know, uh, we've been told that our ministry needs to um, somehow develop climate-smart agricultural programs. Uh, how do we actually do this in practice? Uh, so the kind of uh, uh, focus on, on, on translating policy guidance into implementation plans. And often that is not the kind of stuff that uh, international research organizations really want to work on. Um, uh, so um, there is this question about, um, you know, uh, how, how do we, you know, the, the demand part of this. Uh, there's also a trust issue. I think this is sometimes the elephant in the room. Um, there, there are suspicions that research findings are not necessarily 100% objective. Uh, that they can sometimes reflect uh, the interests of the donors who are funding it uh, or the uh, values and perhaps prejudices of the research uh, researchers and research organizations that, that are involved. So this issue of trust is extremely important. Um, you know, just to give you a, a one specific example, uh, I noticed that um, some African governments were quite averse uh, to accepting analysis that was funded by the U.S. government on uh, GMO technology uh, in you know, over the last decade or so because of the, the known U.S. government position on, on, on GMO um, policy frameworks. But there's, it, it actually goes, it's much more extensive than that. Uh, so I think this question of demand uh, for research evidence, uh, it, it is affected by who does the research. And there's much more um, receptivity, uh, I believe, in, in many African governments uh, for analysis that is led by local policy units, uh, led by nationals of their, their own country. So, you know, what does this all mean for us? Um, uh, there's much that donors and international research teams can do differently to more effectively build the capacities of national ag policy research institutes. And it's not just all on donors and the international community to do this. Um, there is also much, much to do that management of the national ag research institutes need to do themselves uh, to enhance their own performance and sustainability. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your time. I'll look forward to the discussion. Thanks. Thank you very much, Tom, for giving us that overview of the Africa Policy Research Institutes. We will now turn to our discussants, but let me remind the audience that you can please continue to submit your questions and we will come to them shortly. Our first discussant 
is Agnes Wangela, who is a deputy vice chancellor with the Lilongwe University of Agriculture and Natural Resources in Malawi. Over to you, Agnes. Thank you very much uh, for the opportunity to share our experience here at Luana agriculture policy research for some time now, over 20, over 25 years or so. And we've been working with the IFPRI and the MSU for a long time. Uh, as a university, we have an agriculture policy research unit. And recently we have also been awarded an Africa Center of Excellence by the World Bank in Agriculture Policy Analysis. So all these are uh, opportunities that we are working on in terms of um, strengthening our policy research within the university. As Suresh mentioned earlier on, we are working on, uh, we have a postgraduate program for uh, PhD, uh, masters of capacity in research in the issues that as an institution we are facing of our government in our own uh, uh, our own Malawian uh, policy analysis institutes as the Tom was mentioning as the institutes we also we face challenge of uh, movement of staff that have been trained or have been have gained experience within the uh, policy analysis within the within the university but there is uh, there is now opportunity to collaborate with the external uh, institutions such as ifpri uh, mapada local think tanks so that we can build the collaboration within uh, the local scientists or local analysts within the within the country and bring in value for data that is generated locally and also analyzed by uh, the specialists within the, the country. So that maybe we can also gain that confidence among the donors and other partners that seek to assist the policy analysis. Okay, uh, bear with us. Okay, I think we lost Agnes. So Jim, if you wouldn't mind proceeding and we'll circle back to Agnes when she's able to reconnect. Thank you. Uh, and thank you, Agnes, for some extra time, I guess. Uh, thank you to the organizers for this invitation and to the presenters for a great set of presentations. I would like to present some very rough juxtapositions between capacity and development outcomes with apologies to the very rich historical and cultural traditions of the three countries. In 1996, I'm sorry, in, in 1966, India was starting the Green Revolution, IR8 was available, and China was decommissioning its scientific and policy analytic capacity. Over the next dozen years, the Green Revolution took hold in parts of Asia, but China's production was low. China was coming off a famine in the late 50s and early 60s, and was continued to be food insecure over the 66 to 78 period. Agricultural policy was based on Maoist socialist ideals. There were farmer quotas, there were fixed prices. If memory serves me, I was unable to reconfirm with a quick Google check, but if memory serves me, something uh, perhaps in Mao's Little Red Book was published about the correct way to plant wheat is not in rows, but in peasants scattering it by handfuls. 
because then the wheat will grow in communes and everyone knows that the commune is the best form of economic organization. In uh, accountability in this period was to the socialist ideal, which was to help the masses, but in fact did not. In about 1978, China went to a more pragmatic form of accountability, which looked at empirical evidence as to what really worked to help the masses. In 1978, China introduced the household responsibility system, which is perhaps the opening salvo and what became the uh, great opening. As Kevin has suggested, in the period from 1979 through 2020, China has removed more people from poverty than any other country in the world, has the most exemplary record of achievement on that particular development goal. In Malawi, there was famine between 2002 and 2005. Malawi responded with enormous government subsidies to agriculture, sometimes exceeding 60% of the government budget. This was against scientific evidence, including by many of those on this particular panel, uh, MSU and IFPRI and, and local researchers in Malawi that suggested that some of the subsidy could be better used for more sustainable agricultural and other development, uh, but for political reasons, potentially, uh, politicians wanting to have highly visible and large amounts of contributions to the masses uh, Malawi invested in these agricultural subsidies for, for Malawian production for food security. In 2015-16, El Nino showed the fallacy of that approach and the importance of having a more sustainable direction as the scientific evidence would have suggested. But again, political accountability was different from long-term accountability for long-term sustainable development. In Ethiopia, Ethiopia has seen a, 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 a long transition from 1991 through a new constitution in 1995 to the present. Uh, the new constitution gave a much greater voice to people in discussions with government about how development should proceed. And that voice has, has started uh, low, but has had an increasing interaction between government and uh, private sector and civil society in terms of development over the period from early 1990s through today. Uh, Alamayu, along with other pre-researchers, Paul Dorish, Bart Mitten, among others, have done uh, a tour de force of the effects of agricultural intensification in 2000s. But I would also point out the policy change and the greater accountability and increasing accountability of government to private sector and civil society for development outcomes over a 30 year period with poverty reduction in the 1990s actually chronologically uh, preceding the large increases in agricultural productivity starting in the 2000s. And of course, uh, the symbiotic relationship between increases in agricultural productivity and decreases in poverty over the past 20 years. Uh, so I, I think looking back at these then, I'm drawing uh, an association between uh, investment and listening to scientific capacity and policy research capacity and achievement of development outcomes. Looking forward, I see that the food system is global, that scientific research is global, that we need to strengthen the local capacity, but to strengthen the local capacity as part of a global uh, 
policy analytic capacity system, the symbiotic relationship between the global public goods and the local research capacity. So uh, an example of that uh, could be IFPRI and academia. We will hear from Dr. Badiani in a, in a, in a minute. Um, but I, I think it's very exciting to be at this stage where with IFPRI leadership and with the one CG to think about how we can build global scientific capacity, including in local nodes, in order to take advantage of the opportunities and meet the challenges of the three C's that Dr. Swinon talked about at the outset. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jim. As you noted, our next discussant is Usman Badiani, who is the executive chairperson of Academia 2063. Over to you, Usman. Thank you, Katarra. Uh, it's a great pleasure uh, to be here and see so many of my uh, old friends and colleagues. Uh, so thank you for the opportunity and for this great um, uh, presentation of really uh, what it has meant across three continents. Um, you know, this is, this is great. There is um, a saying in a small West African country, small coastal country that says that longevity is a great marker of truth. So if we must have been doing other things right, uh, just judging by what we heard from uh, Kevin, uh, from Suresh in particular, over almost 30 years. I remember Suresh visiting with you in Bunda College in the early 90s. So it's been 30 years. Uh, and if we're being there, and that longevity is the best testimony to the quality of the work uh, that IFPRI is doing, but also to the contribution it's making. Uh, these people you know, don't, don't want to keep you there for that long if you have no value to them. And just looking uh, what LMI said, I forgot to mention that one as well in Ethiopia. Uh, how this has grown and grown and uh, uh, woven itself into the fabrics and the ecosystem in these countries. Uh, I mean, this is just great uh, to see. So congratulations to all of you uh, for that. Um, there's also perhaps another point I wanted to make uh, on the um, advantage of this IFRI system. Uh, you know, uh, being on the ground, that proximity to have a better feel and understanding of what's happening, to network with the decision makers, with uh, the uh, uh, technical community in those countries, create a lot of intuition in you in understanding the things, but also bringing the tools and the methodologies and expertise you have to bear. It's very different uh, than uh, looking at a country from afar, trying to understand what's happening there, working comparatively and so on. So this is really a, a great, uh, great model. What I also like, and it has come through, uh, especially the um, uh, um, different stages that uh, uh, Kevin uh, just showed, uh, as well as Alemayo, what I like about this, and which is really good, and I hope the city will continue that direction under this leadership, is the strategic focus this allows you to have. You don't go with the you know, easier uh, uh, questions um, in, or what is, uh, you know, um, being discussed uh, in the international circles, that's interesting. No, you are there in the countries, you're focused on what's happening and what's important to these countries. And you can do that in the long term. It's not that quick, right? You know, uh, um, uh, projects and analysis that comes into a paper or an article, you produce the books and the articles is true, but you're there and you're driven by the longer term strategic issues of the countries. I think that also has contributed to the value that is if pre-country programs have had. 
And it's going to be even of a bigger importance, uh, this IFRI model moving forward, because um, you know, research has moved from a wholesale business, development research, to a retail business. In the 70s and 80s, uh, 90s, the global community was at a loss. They all wanted to contribute money wherever they could. So anybody with a great idea could get some money. But nowadays, a specific donor want to a niche uh, issue looked at, not even in a whole country, maybe a part of a country. So being present, understanding those nuances, positions if required well in doing this kind of, kind of work. But also countries themselves, Tongan was saying, uh, and, and I think also uh, Jim alluded to that, they're using data differently. They're not asking for data wholesale and happy for whatever they get. They have now questions. Their planning is much more nuanced. So that uh, being in place also make things really quite, uh, quite um, appealing and, and effective. Uh, being in a country uh, also uh, meets the need for timeliness, for greater relevance that comes from the demand from these countries. So all these really very, very strong parts of the program and the lessons over the last few decades. There is something though that is a little bit of a downside that one will have to look at, and I'll be wrapping up with that. Um, the cost of these programs may be really, really high. So moving forward, you might want to uh, look at the model in China, uh, perhaps a little bit uh, in Ethiopia, building the capacity that complement and augment what IFRI needs to bring into these countries. So that instead of doing 100% of the piece, maybe IFRI will end up doing 50 or 30 or 40% of the piece and getting the countries to do the less to bring down. Okay, we have lost Usman's audio. Okay, great. Thank you so very much, Usman. Our final discussant is Nalishebo Mabilo. She is the executive director of the Regional Network of Agricultural Policy Research Institutes. Over to you, Nalishebo. Thank you, um, moderator. And um, <clears throat> so thank you to colleagues at IFPRI for uh, the invitation to speak. Um, and let me also congratulate um, those who have spoken before me for their really insightful um, uh, presentations. So I've heard quite a number of people um, speak about uh, local institutions. Um, they've also um, focused on Africa um, as a continent. Uh, and I've also heard the word collaboration used a number of times. So I'm actually going to focus on, on, on the issue of how we define collaboration, collaboration with local institutions. And I am speaking from the perspective of African-based uh, institutions and from my own experience, uh, managing an African-based, uh, African-led institution uh, that is focused on, on research, providing um, evidence for, for policymaking. So I'm from the Regional Network um, of Agriculture Policy Research Institutes, RENAPRI. And um, we are a network of um, recognized agriculture policy research centers. We are based on the ground in Africa. Our research centers seek an opportunity to generate high quality evidence in support of policymaking, not only at national level, at regional level, continental level. Uh, we are doing a lot of work that is supporting um, the African Union Commission, for instance. So we all know that capacity 
for data, for analytics, for institutional, uh, you know, strengthening. I beg your pardon, I'm using my phone. <laughs> Sorry about that. That um, it is not static. And I think I heard Suresh talk about the fact that um, capacity building is not done until there is a de a de no demand for it. So our strategy at RINAPRI, of course, is to um, emphasize the need to continuously build our institutional capacity. Uh, but also to be able to um, build our capacity to use cutting edge um, methods and approaches. Uh, being on the ground in Africa means that our governments trust us. They have confidence in the work that we do and they are willing to appreciate our outputs and policy guidance. And I'm um, sort of speaking to what to Professor Tom Jane talked about that you know there's need for an element of trust. And I believe that local institutions do get um, trust from their governments. We also work closely with like-minded institutions, both in the continent of Africa and those from high-income countries, um, in institutions, for oh, instance, here, in okay. the North. So to deliver on our mandate, <clears throat> our network, like all other research-based organizations, requires resources. And, and so this is the element that I want to speak about when I talk about collaborating in the context of resources to build the institutional capacity of our centers in Africa, right? So as an African think tank, we would benefit immensely from increased resource support from donors and other international organizations. We want to see equitable support from our partners and of course, this is alongside our plea for resources from our national governments in Africa, which you know, we all know is a matter that is currently quite far-fetched when you look at the statistics of uh, how much our governments are, are, are giving to research. However, my observations, and I'm talking about resources to, for institutional capacity in the context of collaboration with local institutions, <laughs> I believe that it is possible to have effective and equitable support and collaboration between African think tanks and institutions from high income countries. However, what we see and what I see inherently equitable support to African think tanks in relation to their counterparts, we see in inequitable, sorry, inequitable support to African think tanks in relation to their counterparts in high income countries. And this ultimately leads to inequitable relations and sometimes strained relationships, which may not be seen, but they exist, right? So while African think tanks seek opportunity to collaborate with researchers from high income countries, these collaborators want to lead the agenda. Sorry, They want to lead the agenda. Usman, if you could, oh dear. Usman, if you could mute yourself, thank you. So what normally happens is that our collaborators want to lead the agenda and do not allow local centers to take an active role in leading or directing the research on the ground. So how are we defining collaboration here? This is mainly due to the fact that the research centers that are located in high income countries receive, receive a larger share. They receive a larger share of the funding and so they tend to dictate the research agenda. So despite the ability of institutions such as RINAPRI, despite our ability to be able to deliver high quality research work and use the same cutting edge methods and approaches, we are not seen as co-equals. Local institutions are not seen as co-equals. And this has to do with who holds the purse. 
we tend to face biases and impromptu invitations or even late invitations to the table to discuss uh, resources that are coming into Africa for the purposes of research. Um, so we need to take note that when you partner with local institutions truly collaboratively and allow them to coordinate the research, it will help to avoid duplication of efforts and it will also ensure that you know, the work that is being undertaken in Africa is truly in line with local priorities and programs. So in conclusion, I just want to stress the importance of defining what we mean by collaboration, right? Uh, it doesn't simply mean coming into Africa and just partnering with a local institution. We need to see how our local institutions are actually also taking leadership in defining the research agenda. It is important also to ensure that we systematically build the capacities of these local institutions to deliver on research projects. Um, and therefore important for us to perceive of our local institutions as core equals um, within the context of these resources that our donors, our philanthropies and other international organizations are providing to our local research centers. And I've always said in recent times that if COVID-19, if the COVID-19 pandemic is an example to go by, then we know the importance of local think tanks. There was no traveling, institutions could not travel to Africa. Governments were relying on their local institutions to provide them with real-time data, analytics, recommendations for policy. So if that is an example to go by, it is important for us to redefine what we mean by collaboration in the context of uh, resources. Thank and so, you very um, much. yes, I just wanted to, to quickly say that um, uh, Tom spoke about leadership uh, and he spoke about the leadership of research organizations. And my last point is just simply to say that uh, uh, organizational management uh, is not always led by someone who has a PhD or professor prefix. So take note that you know, sometimes at the leadership of these research organizations, whether they are scientific research organizations, you need people that have actually studied business. So we don't always need soil scientist, PhD professor leading a research organization. We need to have people that actually are trained and have the capacity to, 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 to run organizations um, so that uh, we are effective. So thank you very much uh, for this opportunity. Thank you very much, Nali Shea. Quite a lot for us to uh, think about, and you actually gave us a great point to pick up on in the Q&A. We just have a few minutes. And so, Tom, mm -hmm. let me start with you. Following on what Nali Shea uh, was discussing, can, are there examples of national policy research institutes that have been successful and sustainable where external partners have moved on after their support? And what steps can donors and development partners take to effectively strengthen local and analytical capacity throughout Africa? Great. Thanks. Uh, great questions, Katarla. Uh, ISER in Ghana, uh, I think, is an, a, a good example of a um, very effective and sustainable um, uh, uh, African-led research organization, uh, ISER, based in Accra. Um, uh, Tegameo in Kenya has been going for a long time. Uh, they have had their ups and downs, uh, but they have uh, been in business now for 30 years. Um, 
As to your other question about um, sort of what can donors um, do to promote um, uh, capacity, institutional capacity development in Africa, I, I'd say number one is uh, core funding, long-term core funding, just like they provide to core funding to international organizations. Um, there has to be a recognition that uh, there's fixed costs of running an institute, not just marginal cost. And uh, while there's sort of this uh, reflexive tendency of many donors to um, try to uh, address policy issues through short-term consultancies, uh, maybe even hiring someone within the institute who has access to data uh, that the institute has collected. So that's kind of a very marginal cost approach to um, uh, doing analysis. And, it, and uh, without core funding, uh, these institutes will, will not be able to uh, sustain themselves in recognition of the fixed costs of running an institute. So I, I think there needs to be greater appreciation uh, by, in the donor community uh, of that issue. Um, one other point I could add, uh, Katarla, would be to uh, consider uh, having the prime organization in these grants be the local institute and then uh, uh, request that the local institute uh, subcontract with international partners based on um, uh, comparative advantage and the issues uh, that the grant uh, is dealing with uh, so that it puts more responsibility in, in the mm -hmm. hands of the local institute uh, themselves um, rather than sort of making them the subordinate partner. Great. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Suresh, uh, a couple of questions for you. How do we attract capacity for policy research from the diaspora? And also, uh, sometimes policies are designed very well, but the post-implementation appraisal is not mandated. Are there any thoughts on how we can improve that to see that these policies are actually doing what they intended to? Yeah, thank you, Katarla. Quickly, um, diaspora has particularly uh, as huge uh, uh, interest and uh, also some responsibility to give back to their countries. And then when you talk to the people who are outside the country but are trained in policy analysis and they would like to do something for the country only when we create an enabling environment for them to come and give back to the countries and that's a huge resource human resource that we have not tapped uh, in, in and of course it differs from uh, country to country so i i was uh, i would i would kind of encourage to create a network now we have social media linkedin and you know what not you can kind of mobilize this capacity to come back and then do their part in terms of mentoring young researchers who are coming up. Uh, they may be working in Western universities, for example. I mean, I see quite a number of Ethiopians, Malawians, you know, Ghanaians working in US universities, for example, and they could be kind of going back and mentoring that. And that would be a new way of thinking about how do we informally create this international collaboration and cooperation uh, and transfer the knowledge and skills? And that's one way to think, think about it. So um, it's a networked approach. It takes extra effort. Um, there is no separate funding sitting there somewhere uh, for that kind of activity, but it is the kind of bringing the like-minded people together. One way to do that is through associations, strengthening African associations for agricultural economics, for example, their journals that they are publishing and bringing the network together uh, that way. So it's a, it's a good example uh, that I can give at this point. Let me stop here. Great, thank you, Suresh. 
Um, Kevin, turning to you, why why do you think that localizing the IFPRI China uh, program is important, and how can the model of China in regards to policy capacity strengthening be replicated in the context of African countries? Do you have any uh, thoughts on what efforts may be needed from national policymakers? Thank you, Katala. This is uh, a great uh, uh, question. Uh, the reason uh, why the localizing is uh, very important in China, probably there are a couple of the reasons. Uh, uh, one certainly, which will allow us to conduct a more uh, relevant policy research. This is the, probably the, the key. Second, uh, from practical reason, it also opens the door for the IFPRI to access the additional funding from the countries. And uh, so this is the important. Third is uh, allowed us to access the local talents, right? So uh, another reason I think is very important is in order to have uh, uh, policy impact, we needed to have access to the local channel to which influence the policy. So being created the joint center like that somehow create the local channel to influence the policy process. So all those together, I think is very important. And the nature of that could be replicated in other developing countries. But again, this will be largely depends on the stage of economic development. Even for China, this the localizing, institutionalizing, joint center concept are relatively recent phenomena. And uh, so, so, so I would say that the probably depends on the economic development stage of the individual country to say how replicable this particular model is. So let me stop right here and over back to you. Great, thank you very much, Kevin. Usman, coming to you, how do we mobilize the commitment for policy evidence at the African regional level as countries move toward their national development goals uh, in 2063? Thank you very much. Um, the, the best way to, to do that um, is uh, having systems of mutual accountability in place where people are asked to track, to review and to report uh, on progress. And I think that is a place where Africa has greatly innovated over the last uh, couple of decades. Uh, many of the people around here are familiar with the biennial review that takes place every two years where 55 African heads of state sit in one room and look at the scoreboard uh, that scores their countries in seven areas uh, with uh, a couple of dozen indicators uh, and regarding how well they have done. Uh, but also at the level of the individual countries, you have the joint sector review processes that are going once or twice a year, which are now much more uh, inclusive, uh, not just bilateral, but have uh, between a government and a specific donor uh, or a specific multilateral, but it is now an, an open process, uh, multi-actor stakeholders uh, where these questions are raised. So that is enhancing the demand for data uh, and for evidence in policymaking. And I think it's just going to be uh, expanding uh, as time goes by. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Usman. Jim, coming to you, what level of investment for capacity development do you believe is appropriate and where should it be invested locally? Uh, I think that's a really tough question to answer. <laughs> Every local situation is different. 
So I would hate to put uh, a number uh, or a percentage on any sort of particular capacity, but I, I think just respecting the fact that we need to fund research at a higher level. Um, when I started in, in this business, there was talk of funding agricultural research at 2%, uh, and now there's talk of getting to 1% because we didn't make the 2%. So I think you know if you can if you can make the one percent if you can make the two percent that's sort of a minimum that's needed in order to have strong uh, recommendations for how to spend the other ninety eight percent of your money and again I think the key is also in in building the connection so not uh, funding Malawi at a certain level in Ethiopia, which is a larger country at a different level and creating something in Malawi and something in Ethiopia and something in Senegal. It's really creating the global network to deal with the global challenges that the three C's that Dr. Swinon talked about using the local capacity and building that local capacity as part of the global policy recommendations. Thank you. Great, thank you very much, Jim. And now, Lishay, coming to you, during your remarks, you spoke about local institutions not being seen as co-equals, biases, late invitations, several things that you said structurally are making it difficult. Uh, can you elaborate on that a bit? What would be the first change you think that needs to be made to improve how this collaboration actually happens? Thank you, uh, Katala. <clears throat> I think um, when I was concluding my remarks, I gave a good example of the COVID-19 pandemic and what happened um, when the pandemic was uh, came into being, that um, there was a need for real-time data analytics uh, in order to inform um, policymakers. And so the, the, um, this, this data and analytics first, came from the local institutions. I heard local institutions saying our governments are calling us and saying, where is the real-time data? And so what we are trying to say here is that um, there is need to perceive of local institutions as having the ability to also generate evidence and provide um, policy guidance to policymakers. And so when we talk about collaborating with local institutions, let's have equitable uh, partnerships. Let us have resources from our donors, our philanthropies, our international organizations. Uh, let that resource come to us as equitable resource for both our collaborators in high income countries. And we welcome that um, as, as, as it is shared with, with our think tanks. I think it's important for us to begin to think of our think tanks who are trained by high income countries anyway, uh, you know, think about them as having the capacity to be able to deliver as well. So I would like to sit at the table and be seen as a co-equal. I want to be invited to the table on time and not as, you know, somebody who's just thought about, by the way, you know, there's a center in, in Africa, let's invite them to the table. And when the funding is being, um, you know, allocated, you only get the remnants of it. So that is something that we need to think about. Let's think about, uh, you know, uh, giving that respect to the local institutions that they're able to deliver just as well as um, our collaborators in the North. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nali Sheba, and to all of our speakers. We are now going to turn to our closing remarks, and I'll invite Dr. Schengen Fan to uh, bring those. And Schengen, also a question for you. 
in addition to your remarks. IFPRI has been successful in policy analysis and capacity development over a period of years. How could such success be replicated in other CG centers and in this new one CGIAR? Thank you, Schengen. Thank you, Katala. Well, as a chair, um, I try to choose the best shirts from our presenters. So today I declare that Osman Barian and Jim have the best shirts. Very beautiful, very nice. <laughs> anyway, so I have eight points. Uh, each point was, was spent probably 20 seconds. Number one is it's not just a capacity strengthening. Sometimes it's a creation of the institutions. So IPRI, MSU, and many other organizations have worked with Africans in creating these institutions, how to build, where to build, how to work with the government to do that. I think it's very critical. China, Osman, you have done that, and uh, uh, obviously in other countries. My second point is the country ownership. Absolutely, we must make sure that country owns all these institutions, country owns all these capacities. We are working with them as partners. So number three is on ground, being on the ground. Many have said that, yeah, being on the ground, make sure that our work is relevant, our work will be impactful, our work will be, you know, will be adopted. So on the ground is absolutely critical. So number four is long-term. You know, I think longevity, longevity is evaluation of the performance, I think Osman said very well. You know, so if you want to be successful, you have to be there for long-term. And number five is system approach. We need to engage with Ministry of Agriculture, the environment, health, nutrition, education, going beyond the Ministry of Agriculture. So a system approach, I think CGI is moving towards that direction. Uh, number six is, I think we didn't discuss much. Today, we needed to use new tools, ICD technologies, all the social medias to, to yeah, we, we train some of the core, core uh, researchers or policymakers or stakeholders. But in the meantime, we can use modern technologies to multiply our effects um, by a big, big margin. Now, number seven is investment, more investment. Yes, we must invest more in capacity creation, capacity strengthening, well, institutional uh, creation and institutional strength, strengthening, absolutely. So stakeholders like donors and national governments, the CGIR must invest more in capacity building. My last one is South-South cooperation. We heard of that, yes, South-North cooperation, but South-South cooperation, India, China, Brazil today have pretty strong capacity. So how can we work together and work with the Africans to really strengthen the capacity to work together, to connect the data, I emphasize the data here, and to analyze the data and to present the evidence to the government for policy making. Again, it's not us, it's the local stakeholders who will present the recommendation to the government. Okay, with that, I want to thank you. Thank you, Katala, for your great moderation. Thank you very much, Schengen, and thank you to all of our speakers and to you, our audience, for joining us today. We invite you to join IFPRI on July 25th at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time for a seminar on addressing the global food security crisis, strengthening research and policy responses. It's co-organized by the German Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development and the CGIAR. With that, enjoy the rest of your day, everyone. Yeah.